for another wonderful afternoon. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon, October 15th. Smack dabble in the middle of the month. Man, fourth quarter is going by fast. Okay. Those of you who have not, I'm sure most of you have. I've been thinking about this fourth quarter, the holiday season's coming up, and most importantly, the next calendar year based on the Julian calendar, Gregorian calendar, however you, however you want to uh, term it as. But we are, the 2023 is closing fast. Closing very fast. I mean, so many things have occurred this year. Um, most importantly, we want to pray for human life of all ethnicities and makeups and backgrounds. Amen. We just want to pray for life, the cessation of arrogance and violence and, pride. and terror and pride and foolishness. This month is also Clergy Appreciation Month. So we thank God for all those who are there to help bring life and God's breath to humanity. Anyway, that's a lot. Let us pray on this October 15th. We thank God for Prophet Shante, uh, who you will see in a few and a little bit later on in this uh, <clears throat> lecture series. We thank God for all of you who regularly participate with us. Uh, we want to give a special um, condolence to one of our uh, friends and peers in the work, in the ministry, in the work, um, the uh, Scott family, we want to lift them up in prayer. Very significant things happened there. I won't go into detail here, but we thank God for life. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for life. We thank you, Lord, for this nation. We thank you for life nation. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the authority and the power to live above and not beneath to be ahead and not behind, to live in the light of the life of Christ and be guided by the spirit of you who leads us and guide us into all truth, into life, into more abundance. You said you are, uh, we trust in you and believing in you, the Messiah, the true and living Christ, not the Western version of it, of you, but the true authentic Christ, Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, we thank God for who you are, being God's image on earth, giving us a life and a light, and uh, just so we can have life for all mankind. Thank you, Father, for your sacrifice of your only begotten Son to help us to have access to you, to help us to <sighs> feel that life and energy the God energy in us personally. We thank you for it so much that you don't abandon us, leave us or forsake us. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, so much. But Heavenly Father, let this message that we're sharing with today, let the hearers hear, let them be blessed and encouraged and empowered by this message, this, this uh, lecture on today. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, amen. amen. All right. Okay, now, God... Y'all been with us. <laughs> this is week number six of this same series. Thank you all for sharing this broadcast and being a part of us. Uh, we thank God for all of you all who are here. Uh, I see you there coming, popping up. God bless you. 
woman, God's superpower on earth. Okay, this is our sixth segment. There's so much to give in today, some juicy nuggets. We know last week, this the sub-segment of this series we went into was do not dismiss the harlot. <laughs> I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not here to uh, deride or uh, promote anybody or anything but the word of God as he's given to me. So uh, as we... I've not have time for review. Go to the last five sessions, read those, listen to those, however you want to do it in your replay time. Amen. <laughs> Anyhow, but last week we ended off on a note. And one of the things that we dealt with was Jezebel. Okay. How many of y'all heard so many times, oh, Jezebel and continuing to express this, you know, womanhood in the terms of the lens of a Jezebel. Okay. Uh, that's where we kind of many, many, many unfortunate times, many <laughs> unfortunate times, many more millions of times that we can even, uh, express. I just got to tell you, all right, we have to stop Jezebeling everything women who flow in beauty and power. Okay. We have to stop Jezebeling it. Just stop. Just because a woman is in power or a woman's in leadership doesn't mean that she's a Jezebel. If a woman has makeup on or adorned in a certain way, she's not a Jezebel. If a woman is fit and takes care of her physical temple, that is not a Jezebel, okay? Mm. Listen, let me tell you what a Jezebel is. It's not gender specific, all right? Jezebel is a spirit of greed, number one. A spirit of deception, number two. A spirit of shamelessness, number three. A spirit of insolence, number four, which is rude and arrogant lack of respect. Many of these things that we express are a basis of colonization. Okay? The Western world has profiteered so much ways capitalistically through the spirit of Jezebel. Okay? We look at the literal term and a person whose name that was literally in the historical documents that we have, she was an individual in power who decided to take something or take things that do not belong to them or her and her husband. Okay. They were a unit, unit, U-N-I-T. So in other words, we got to understand Jezebel is not an exclusive thing for women, but it is a state of leadership that is corrupt. Just because someone appears or works in a industry that is uh, sexually based or whatsoever or other types of things, it does not mean that that person is corrupt. All right. We have to understand this. The spirit of a Jezebel operates in humanity, not exclusively through a gender. One case example of Jezebel was the very last presidency of the United States of America. You will see the shamelessness. You saw the rude and arrogant lack of respect from A to Z of human beings. 
You saw greed. You saw deception. Even the court systems now, the legal and the justice systems now, are trying to unmask all the deception that are occurring. And then even in that, there's still shamelessness. There's people and there's the, the source and then there's supporters who believe that they can be shameless to support this greed and this deception. That is the spirit of Jezebel. It's not a woman. Okay? Prophet. And I was going to say, and you don't get, you don't get an Jezebel without an Ahab enablement. That spirit cannot operate unless it is enabled or goaded on or encouraged mm -hmm. by the spirit of an Ahab. Also not gender specific. Exactly. So what happens is that Jezebel, I'm glad Prophet said that, it takes on the face and the actions of abomination. When you look at a term that was uh, given in the, in the um, Older Testament, Old Testament, there was an abomination that make desolate. There's that, that's literally what it is. It takes the face and the actions of things that are abominable, things that are a stench in the nostrils of God. Okay, and what happens, they take on a face of abomination that people and the masses actually want to have. See, what happens is you have, and Prophet kind of alluded onto that, the enablement factor. There's people who want greed. There's people who want deception promoting. There are people who want shamelessness. There is groups of people who want insolence, lack of respect. Um, but what happens is they don't have the gall to be the face of it. So what they do, they pinpoint their energies into a source vehicle to be such abomination. Okay. Um, Jezebel is a spirit of terror. The spirit of terror. I call it the prophet pimp. They, you know, Jezebel had you know, all those prophets who would speak according to their personal desires and wishes, not according to God. And people look at these individuals who are speaking in an oratorical fashion with a certain solemn nature, which had no power behind them. Call it the prophet pimping. Okay, that's a Jezebel. And a Jezebel is a truth assassin. So we have to understand the difference between what is a harlot and what is a Jezebel. A harlot is not necessarily something that is evil. Okay? Look at that. Back to what we were saying with a Jezebel. Ahab wanted outrageous things for himself as a crybaby. He won, when he saw something that belonged to somebody else, I'm not have time to go into the passages of it, but when he saw that something that belonged to somebody else, I want that for myself. He didn't have the the the, the gall to go forth with it, so he he enabled the Jezebel. The Jezebel came in and said, "Okay, you want that? I don't care who has it. We'll take it." That is literally the spirit of colonization, where you feel empowered in the position of power to go and take something that doesn't belong to you and call it your own, despite how anybody else feels about that, with no transaction. Colonization is not transactional. It is terror. So these are things I wanted to share. Prophet. And 
the spirit of Jezebel mm -hmm. often shields the source of true evil. Mm -hmm. It's it's the spirit of Je Jezebel operates because it has been delegated a certain measure of authority and power by the real source. In in this in the Old Testament um, example, it would have been Ahab being that source and Jezebel being that authoritative delegated person to carry out the action. Right. So basically what I'm saying is Jezebel was the brazen sword. The spirit of Jezebel was the brazen sword to get the King Ahab the greed and the things that he was lusting after in the natural. Okay. We can see world conflicts even right now that are going on in this current time in society. That they're socially, they're based upon the spirit of Jezebel. People just want what somebody else has. Or people want to be deceptive in the tactics to take on something that somebody else has. I'm not getting into the detail of that, but there's multiple instances of that in this current 2023 age that we're living in now. Okay? Listen, when I'm getting back to the woman, God's superpower on earth, don't dismiss the harlot. We have to understand that women who lead or tapped to be leaders are not Jezebels. You have a male patriarchy that says that just because a woman's in leadership, that that person's a Jezebel. Because they operating under a tenor or under a voice and a spirit of God, the woman not God, the man. God is both male and female, as we said in earlier instances. So God operates in a male factor. God operates through a female factor. To say God is female or to say God is male are both correct. So when women are tapped to lead, they may lead with a different type of dispensation than men. That does not make them a harlot or Jezebel or whatsoever. What that does is that people who are intimidated particularly men who are intimidated in places of power. They're intimidated. They lift, they're full of fear. They have this sense of, of territorialism and control and hammer where they try to feel like just because you don't do like how we do it means that you are something evil. That's, that in itself is doctrine of devil's prophet. And do want to put a caveat there also. If a person is dealing with controlling their own flesh if a person is dealing with controlling their own lustful desires if a person is dealing with their own sexual identity issues all of that can be projected onto women mm. and so there yes you can be beautiful you can be fit you can be creatively adorned those things have nothing to do with your character this is separate from what we would call the spirit of whoredoms so we're not teaching on that today, right? But we do want people to understand that oftentimes people get labeled Jezebel by people who are projecting their own unresolved, undelivered issues onto that person. Exactly. And if so if you have not dealt with lust and getting your, your own passions and emotions and all of that under control, then you may look out at someone else and project your lack of self-control onto that person. So let's not confuse 
in the internal work that mm -hmm. needs to be done, let's not confuse that with someone else in their natural, beautiful state. Well, you look at what happened was when you look at even in the mid-centuries, okay, when women took positions of power, all they were considered as, mm -hmm. as something as an object to be desired for lustful natures while they were in a position of leadership. And they were surrounded by that. You look at uh, Cleo, uh, Queen Cleopatra was an example of that. You look at, you know, there's many others we can uh, express. And even some were put to death because their leadership couldn't be handled because people project their own desires onto that individual. And it had nothing to do with that individual themselves, particularly when it relates to women. Okay, like Prophet said, being beautiful, being fit, being creatively, creatively adorned, or so forth, has nothing to do with someone's character. We have a tendency to continually bash people because of a outward expression that is healthy for their self-esteem. Listen. <laughs> God speaks wildly of the beauty of femininity all throughout the scripts. All throughout them. Okay, A woman is designed with amazing beauty. She is designed with leadership. She would she is designed with the ability to carry weighty things of life. Some people call it burdens, but I don't call it, I don't want to necessarily say burdens. I would say that there are weights and there are things that are heavy that are need to be dealt with. When you look at all the mothers and grandmothers, yesterday I was I was able to encounter uh members of the family that were seniors. One was even 98 years old still nimble in her physical ability and her mind. And others even a little younger than that, like in the 80s plus. But the level of beauty that was in their lives, the level of leadership that they've had raising families and caring for husbands who became ill or you know, caring for families after they lost their husbands. and became widows, they were still able to carry family on, able to carry on the, the weight and the tenor of the name of the family and the integrity of the family forward. Look at this. And if, if anybody knows how to grow and nurture and carry a word or God's seed, it is a woman. The Messiah, Christ Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, he always kindly and he always lovingly embraced women who were beautiful, who were trapped, as I would say, as slaves in a male patriarchy. He saw their heart as well as their adornment and their beauty and their position in life. And what he saw was not evil that was upon them. It was about the evil upon society. 
When he got to them, he never addressed them as evil. He referred to society as a whole surrounding them that caused them to be in a certain position that they were in. Uh, there's a book, and I know my uh, prophet Shante teaches on this, that in other words, Christ can tell you that vixens, quote unquote, if you put a name to it, can be vindicated. Why is someone even called a vixen in the first place? Is because of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Entertainment. For males. Drives an economic conditioning into individuals who have no other way to support themselves but to do this trade. Christ knew this. He saw this because basically, and you look at the time of the scripts, that women had no power of economy on their own. They're literally property. And what happens, we have to unmask and unlearn these labels that were pronounced in widespread form upon women and females and girls. Christ himself, he understood that even if someone is caught in the label or the activity of what's considered harlotry, he knew that an encounter, the right encounter with him, with the Son of God, can end up making them righteous. We talked about it last week, but I'll give you one case example, then we'll get into our script for today. All right? Mary Magdalene, she was one of the most prolific individuals in the company of the Messiah. One of the most prolific individuals in the company of the Messiah. Okay. She was wealthy, number one. We talked about last week too as well. Keep going. She was a priestess of the goddess Isis. But guess what? Christ still engaged with her. He did not denounce her. He did not ostracize her. Even though they say she was freed from multiple demons, the spirit gave me a, a little better understanding of that, that the demons were not things that were within. <laughs> they were those in control of her. Which means that there were individuals with the spirit of oppression upon them who tried to control and lock her life in to a certain lifestyle. But she became one of the most adamant and loyal followers of Christ. She was mentioned like 12 times, more times than most of the apostles who you call 
They're fishermen and those who he called from different occupations to follow him. You know, we got to understand Isis was an Egyptian god. Now look at this. Christ was not afraid to engage with a woman who was in a position of, of sacred uh, leadership to serve another god. He did not dismiss her. Come on, prophet. Oh, this is this get good here. And if you know anything about that particular, um, if you know anything about the particular culture, you also have to understand culturally that there was even pre-Christianity, there was the understanding and acknowledgement of women in their divine role. Mm. They knew at that time that if you were a priestess, it was only priestesses really during that time that could anoint kings. Mm -hmm. Right. So even culturally, people understood that Mary Magdalene's association with Christ meant that he was a king. Because they didn't hang out with just anybody. Mm -hmm. So we also have to understand that cultural context. Going back to what you said about who is responsible for women going into this certain economy, mm -hmm. who is responsible for women, you know, having to live a life where they don't have that income, right? They're living in a patriarchy where the, their only means of survival is through men, whether it's their brother, their father, their husband. And if they are without those three, then their income is coming from systems in which men have said, this is what you can do to earn income. Hosea 4, God puts it this way. Let's take a look. Mm -hmm. He says in Hosea 4, verse 14, he says, uh, verse 13 starting, he says, they sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains, they burn incense upon the hills under oaks and poplars and elms because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore, your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. He's talking about the state of Israel. And then this is what he says. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom. God said that. Nor your spouses when they commit adultery. But here is why. For themselves are separated with women of women of dis ill disrepute, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that does not understand shall fall. But he says, But you, O Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend. He's essentially saying that. You have this spirit that has come upon your daughters and your wives because you men are playing the harlot. Without you playing the harlot or without you being disloyal to me, this would not be continuing through your seed and your lines. So we have to understand, that was very good points here in Hosea. We're going to go there in a minute too as well, a little earlier uh, pastors in, in Hosea. But one thing I got to understand and tell you is this, that we have to stop making a assertion of woman 
who are in positions of leadership, who are in a position where they're doing service to what they believe in, and who have wealth, and understand that they themselves want to be freed from the demons that are trying to control their life. I would say there was a point of time where I worked. This was a test from the father for me that I worked in an environment of retail, you know, about a dozen years ago. This was a test. You know, the economy was a little rough. You know, I went there to, I went to a store to get a, a new Bible because uh, my old one just was falling apart. And while I was there, the Spirit of the Lord told me that apply for a position. I was like, what are you talking about, God? What are you mean? What do you mean? This is not my kind of thing. But I did it in obedience, okay? But in that process, over a period of a year and a half, I wound up encountering almost nearly, getting close to probably about 200,000 people. And about 80% were female. And then in the process, there are females from, you know, that looked, you know, as if they were homeless to the point that those that look like they are, are clergy to the ones that look like they were industry workers for um, the industries we're talking about earlier. Um, there were ones that looked like they were housewives or whatsoever. But there was one common denominator throughout all of those woman archetypes. One common denominator. They were hurting. Why were they hurting? Because of con control of men in their life. Men in life were controlling and debilitating to their spirit. I tell you, this is a case study. I, I didn't expect this, but the father gave me this in the trenches experience. And what happened was, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself in this, but what happened was, yes, you know, no matter what ethnicity, there was Iranians, there were um, Ashkenazis, there were, um, you know, white Anglo-Saxons, you know, African-Americans, Africans. One common denominator, they were hurting because of control from outward impressions upon their life through men. Belittled. I mean, a lot of them had, were wealthy too. They had like six, eight bedroom houses and lands and all these things that they were part of, but they felt lost and hurt. And just as you can see that it was going on with Mary Magdalene. And one thing that came to them as they, as I encountered them is they, the one thing that they always said to me that I can, that I, I still fully never understand is that they feel love around my presence. I understand it. <laughs> Prophet Chante understands that, I understand that in a way that no other does. 
You have a peaceful presence. But there was, the, it's like, I would go to them and just say hello, and they would start crying. Or I'll give them just a, you know, a, a nice hug greeting or whatsoever. And then snot's on my on the side of my shirt. But what happened was, no matter what economic or socio-political economic status they were a part of, I embraced them with love and kindness and saw them as a human and nothing else. And for that, they felt a sense of freedom in those moments. I mean, I'm talking about thousands upon thousands. I mean, I'm talking about nearly 200,000 people over a year and a half. There were points of time where there were people who would come to me and I have a long line of people waiting to see me when there's other people available that was in the place, even though I was tagged as a assistant manager whatsoever. And that wasn't even my field. <laughs> but it was the it was the field of harvest that Christ wanted to show me something. Because when I say women are God's superpower, when you take a Mary Magdalene prototype and you show them the love without strings, without chains, and you become a shoulder or an arm for them, you don't understand what you're releasing into the earth. You look at Marvel Comics or or uh, whatsoever, you see how a lot of these quote-unquote fake superheroes are made. There was a moment of tragedy or darkness or something that was going on with them. And someone helped them to understand what their power was because they were so frustrated in their life until they got a direction to understand who they were or what they had within. And what happens is when I say women are God's superpower on earth and don't dismiss the harlot, understand that when you show them the love, the agape, that God heart that both male and female comes through you to embrace them, you are birthing superpowers in the earth. Prophet. And this is, I would say, culturally, this is a very important word because we have so much of the opposite happening. Um, whether that be um, manufactured scenarios or whether that be real life, real time scenarios, there is something pervading our culture right now that is, I, I don't think it's it's healthy for the, our culture. I don't think it's good for the, the good of society to have instances where women are being degraded or women are being humiliated and you know it's being filmed and it's being applauded or lauded as something that men should be doing or should be excited about doing. And so anytime you start to see that within a culture, you know that there is a breakdown of morality. You know that there's a breakdown of consciousness. And I want to encourage people, you know, today in your space to not, when, when you see something like that go down, 
to not just stand and observe, but to really speak out on it. Um, I know, obviously, for safety reasons, we don't we're not encouraging people to physically intervene. But sometimes, you know, calling for help or sometimes speaking into an issue where you see that happening, especially us as believers, to know, hey, this is not right. This is wrong. This behavior towards women, towards humanity, towards another aspect of the heart of God, another aspect of the divinity and the image of God, mm-hmm. it's, it's not good. And so as believers, right, the, the call is first coming from inside the house. As believers, we have to make sure that we are being an example, like you said, of that love, of that kindness, of that care, of that compassion towards women in our in our midst. Mm. That's wonderful. So, you know, we have to understand that don't denounce the feminine aspect of God in the earth. That is his image. And who are you to denounce God's image? Oh, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> Hosea chapter two, we went to four earlier with prophet, but let me go to Hosea two, verse 14 through 20 and read this script here. And here is what's beautiful about this. And oh my gosh, we may not finish today, but let me get into it. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Look at God's referring to Israel, but referring to it as female. And bring her into the wilderness. And I will speak tenderly. Look at that. Tenderly to her heart. There's no domestic violence or aggression when you're speaking tenderly. Okay, this this is the God Almighty. Verse 15. There I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, which is troubling, to be for her a door, uh, a door of hope and expectation. That's the point here, gentlemen and ladies. Give woman a door of hope and expectation. A door was was a door, an access point. What is expectation? Meaning that there is hope and there is a reality involved with something that they have been deserving of but haven't yet accessed as of yet. Like we look at expectation, we know that when 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 someone's cooking dinner in a restaurant. You are in expectation for that food to be taken to your table so that you can consume it. So their expectation is an excitement knowing that something is coming your way to bless you. All right. And she shall sing there and respond as in the days of her youth and as a time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, I will call, that you will call me Eshai, I-S-H-I, my husband. And you shall no more call me Balai, my Baal. For I will take away the names of Balaam. Oh, look at this. 
I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall and they shall no more be mentioned or seriously remembered by their name. Now this is so important for us, what we were talking about earlier. This cultural assertion and description and, 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 and development that has been ascribed to women when the Messiah or the Christ, the very God himself, when he comes and embraces that those names and those associations that deal with patriarchy and negativity are not even to be mentioned, are to be removed from their expression. Prophet. This is powerful in so many different ways, but I, I want to go back to verse 15. He says, I will give her, and we're talking about God, and we're talking about the heart of God, and how we are displaying that heart of God to, to one another. I will give her vineyards and make the valley of trouble, the place where she has found trouble, to be a door of hope and expectation. <sighs> I don't know any woman who is going to refuse a man who removes trouble from her life. Doesn't add to the trouble. <laughs> and some people say, I can do bad all by myself, right? They don't add to the trouble. They remove the trouble. Secondly, I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth. I will cause her to not be making mentioning, mentionings mm. of other things. Mm. There won't be a reason to mention other gods. Mm. Because God says, I'm going to be so good to her that it's going to replace all these other names. And I think about in our, in our relationship, right? Some people will say, keep my name out your mouth. Mm. But God is saying the only name that Israel in this case, being in the in the in the likeness of a woman, she's not even going to seriously remember the names of anybody else. Because <laughs> if you're doing your job, the only name that's going to be in her mouth is yours. <laughs> mm. So there's some beautiful, beautiful parallels here, and I hope people come back and. And read for themselves. Really, listen, 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 just hear the spirit of what the spirit is saying. It says in verse 18, oh, this, <laughs> we're not, I got so much here. Uh, and in that day, I will make a covenant for Israel, her, with the living creatures of the open country, and with the birds of the heavens, and with the creeping things of the ground. And look at this. And I will break the bow and the sword and abolish battle equipment and conflict out of the land that will make you lie down safely. We talking about a God that's breaking battles, Oh my God. A God that's abolishing battles. A God that's abolishing battle equipment. Mm. A God that's removing conflict from your life and a God that's making you safe. You can't <laughs> tell me no woman who is going to refuse mm battle the equipment for battle and the conflict being removed out of her life mm -hmm. to put her in a space of safety and security <laughs> see the thing this is the thing that's amazing and society will have you like they do in, in this western world 
to get up a whole cache of weapons, get more weapons, get more weapons, because you don't know what's going to happen. More weapons, oh, more weapons, more, more this, more that. You know, it's going to be conflict. And 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 God says, I'm taking away the expectation of conflict out of your life, so you don't need weapons for fighting, because there ain't going to be no wars. I'm putting you into a place of majesty where that you will not have to sit there and fight. All you have to do is sit, lay there, and rest. Removing conflict, removing conflict, and bringing rest and safety. That is the life of a superpower. Verse 19. There's so much here. There's just so much here. I just... Father, help me. Look at this. Verse 19. I'll betroth you unto me forever. I will betroth you unto me in righteousness and justice in steadfast love and in mercy. Now you're going to have to back up for a moment. Prophet. Because he says, I'm going to make a covenant for you to be safe. But then I'm going to betroth you forever. We often talk about covenants, right? Especially in the relationship between men and women. We often talk about covenants, but we don't talk about that betrothing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to betroth you to me forever in righteousness and justice and steadfast love, steadfast love and mercy. What? How deep is your love? <laughs> forever in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, love that stands the test, and in mercy. There's a love that's coming your way that you never had to feel guilty about it. You have to worry about fighting, so you got to put your battle swords down. <laughs> everybody want to fight, ready to fight. Fight, 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 fight. But you know the energy it takes to continue a mindset of fighting can be absolutely soul-draining. And God says, I'm here to restore your soul. Put down a fight. I'm fighting your battles. I'm giving you a bed to rest on. What kind of deal is that? And there's steadfast love and mercy. One thing about mercy is that mercy means that no matter whatever you felt like you did that you weren't deserving of, whatever feel like, oh, I don't deserve all this, this is handed to you. Don't be ashamed of the gifts of love that's being sent your way because it's the hand of mercy upon your life. You don't have to be ashamed of what your life has been to receive that mercy. And anybody asking you to recount your past so that they can bring you into the spirit of shame is not from God. Absolutely. <laughs> we know there's a current conversation about women and their quote-unquote body counts. The only reason you're asking about body counts is to bring women into a space of shame. That is not of God. Run. Run away. Escape. Look at this verse 20. I will even betroth you unto me in stability, 
and in faithfulness. Uh-huh. And you should know, recognize, be acquainted with, appreciate, and give heed to, and cherish the Lord. So understand, when the Father, when God himself was both male and female, he knows the very desires and the very core nature of what femininity needs, and he expresses it here in how they are to be treated and operate. A man cannot tell a woman how to be female. Only God can because he is both male and female. And he has a script right here of the life of a healthy female. Jesus, have mercy. Nothing can satiate the life of a woman regardless of whatever your past was or whatever it is than the alluring presence of the Almighty God. He steps up. He delivers on his promises. He brings his swagger. And he is the greatest lover because God is love. So he knows how to extract love out of the earth so that it can surround you perpetually. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I got to pause here. This is this is it. I'm going to tell the prophet Shante. Uh, this is someone to soak here. I pray that you got something out of this today. And if you're a woman today, um, and you're whatever it is you're dealing with, whether it might be um, separation or you feel like you're not being valued or feel like there's oppressive nature upon your life, or you might even have been divorced or whatsoever, let me let Prophet Shanti come in and pray with you because uh, this is just heavy. I feel weighty today, so just come and give it to him, Prophet. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. This is a very, very powerful word. Um, and the reality is so many women especially in our in our current society right now there is there's two opposing forces right there is there are forces that are saying women we want to help you we want to empower you we want you to rise we want you to shine we want you to go forth and then on the other side there's another force that says women have too much power women have too much influence Women have too much authority. Oh, we've got to start snatching things back, right? There's even a legal case now um, being brought against a founder that is helping black women. And they're saying she can't do that. Um, she can't even the playing field. So you have to ask yourself today, what side are you leaning on? Are you leaning on the father's side? Because the father is plainly laying out to us how he feels about women. Mm -hmm. It's all through the text. Some people will say, well, the Bible, um, you know, the Bible condones certain things. It does not. It does not. Mm -hmm. There's something called prescriptive words and messages in the text. And there's something called descriptive 
messages in the text. When there's something descriptive, it's telling you about what happened. When there's something prescriptive, it's telling you how to act. And if you read the Old Testament and you actually open your heart while reading, you will see the ways in which God is de is prescriptively telling you how he feels about women. How he feels about justice for women. How he feels about our interaction with women. How he feels when men do ungodly things to women. You'll find the descriptions of things that happen in real life, the harm, the real life harms, but you'll also find prescription. You'll see how God is responding, how God is for women, how God is uplifting women, how God is getting vengeance for women, how God is using women to lead men to places of victory, how God is using women to give men wisdom so that they don't wreck their entire kingdom. All of that is in the text. So as we close out today, as pastor said, we do not want to allow people to put false labels on women that have nothing to do with them. <coughs> and all too often we are seeing that we're seeing it in Christendom and we're also seeing it outside of Christendom. We're seeing people, we're seeing women be demonized and labeled and categorized just off of suppositions, not even off of the truth. And when women say, hey, I want to tell my story, I want to share my story, <laughs> we need to be willing and open to hear what that actual story is and not what we have supposed it to be. We have to admit our own lenses of bias and prejudice that we sometimes operate through and see people through. And so I, I pray for us today that we would begin to see people the way that Christ sees them, the way that the Father sees them, whether male or whether female, which is what we're talking about today. I pray that you would open the eyes of your understanding, that those eyes of understanding today would be enlightened and that you would see people the way that the Father the God of all creation sees them. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. So we pray today. Open the eyes of my heart, Father God. I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to see the spirit of those that I'm connecting with <clears throat> and interacting with. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. <coughs> Take a moment. Excuse me for coughing. Take a moment. Look within. <coughs> And say, Father, open the eyes of my heart. <clears throat>
Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to understand. Show me the areas where I have misunderstood other women. <coughs> Excuse me. Show me the areas where I have misinterpreted the heart of another person. And Father, let me be willing to receive the correction as it comes. Don't let me turn it away, but let me be open to receiving the correction that you want to provide so that I am looking at people with the correct lens and perception. That is what we pray today. I want to thank you.